Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by Acura of Memphis. Okay, you know, this car looks great wrapped around you, you know. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. The body's a temple, that's why we're taught. Welcome back, everyone. 9.03 the time. Hour number three here on Sports 56 Mornings, the Tuesday, October 10th, 2023 edition. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, and Zach Boyd with you from the Family Leisure Studios. Family Leisure, 2120 Witten Road, just north of I-40. The world's biggest spa sale continues. Currently 60 degrees. Sunshine. We're looking at a few afternoon clouds and a high of 82 today. Should be very comfortable. Tonight, cloudy skies with a low of 63. It is Tuesday. It's time to talk some Rhodes Athletics. It's time to go inside Rhodes College Athletics on Sports 56 Mornings. Every week, a representative from Rhodes will join Greg and Eli to talk about all things Lynx. Let's go inside Rhodes Athletics now on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. It is once again a happy Rich Duncan as the Rhodes football coach joins us here in studio. You can follow Coach on Twitter at Coach Rich Duncan. The Lynx knocking off Millsaps last Saturday 37-7 to improve to 4-2 and with their second straight win. Coach, congratulations on the dub. How are you? Doing awesome, Greg. Thanks for asking. Nice little uh, streak going now. You're in a groove after coming back from the loss at Trinity in Texas. You've put together two straight winning weeks and uh, probably feel really good right now where this team is. Yeah, really happy with the way we've bounced back. You know, we talked about it a little bit last week, but, uh, you know, I had two tough losses. So we've won two, lost two, and now we've won two again. And, um, you know, we're playing pretty good football, both offensively and defensively. And, um, you know, I, I really felt like we had a pretty complete uh, game on Saturday. A few too many penalties, but outside of that, I uh, thought we played a good football game. You can't, uh, as a coach, you can never be completely satisfied with a win, right? Or there's always got to be something you have. Got to find something. <laughs> got to find something, Eli. That's the way it works. Could you imagine that coach that walked into the locker room after a game and went, perfect. Everything see was it, great. See I, I, I got literally nothing to say. It's just absolutely, just do that again next week. Yeah, no, that, that just doesn't work for coaches. You guys really ran the ball well. I mean, Good good with both the passing game and the running game, but I was very impressed with uh, Robert Daniel. He's been consistent all year. 17 totes, goes for 143 touchdowns. Elijah Bain chipped in with a nice game running. And even Evan Reeder, your quarterback, had 53 yards net on a couple of carries. So you, you found something I guess you could take advantage of with Millsap's defense where you can run the ball effectively. Yeah, you know, we, we feel like our offensive line is, you know, they were young uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, we're six games in now. They've they've really developed. Coach Antonio Brown's done an unbelievable job with that group, and um, you know we're able to lean on them a little bit right now. You know, we've got two two true freshmen and a sophomore starting for us in that unit, and we knew they would grow. We've got a you know a senior, Colin Seymour, playing right tackle. That's really the leader of the group, and um, you know, the last couple of weeks we've really been able to run the football. You had you used. Both quarterbacks got one back and used both quarterbacks in this game and both looked like performed well. But how do you kind of manage that now the rest of the season as far as the quarterbacks go? You know, our plan all along was to play both guys. Um, You know, originally before Houston got injured, um, you know, we were going to start with Houston and and bring Evan out of the bullpen and let him play. And he's a change-up type of quarterback. But, you know, when when Houston went out, Evan's really – uh, played exceptionally well. He's run the ball well. He's moved the ball down the field. He's put the ball in the end zone. And, um, 
you know, it's a really great battle that we got two sophomore quarterbacks that I think are really, really good small college football quarterbacks, and uh, we're blessed. You know, we've got a good quarterback room. We've got four guys that I think we could play with at any time, and you know, those two have kind of risen to the top, but the other two are really, really good football players, and uh, you know, I'm really pleased because they get along, they like one another, they cheer for one another, they, you know, it's not selfish, you know, they're genuine in helping each other along, and that's always a good sign for your team. Are there games similar? Uh, Different. Uh, Houston's more of a drop-back pocket passer. Houston can... Uh, I'm sorry, Houston's more of a drop-back pocket passer. And, you know, Evan is more of a, a you know, a scramble, run, breakdown kind of guy. Both have really strong arms. Um, but, uh, and you know, Houston can run the ball a little bit, but that's not his strength. How much freedom or lack thereof do you give your quarterbacks as far as audibling or doing something that goes away from the play call? You know, it's a great question. You know, the way our offense is structured, um, and they're both sophomores, we haven't turned a lot of the keys over to those guys yet. Mm -hmm. It's still still a pretty structured offense in terms of the play calling. As those guys grow, they're going to get more and more of it. Um, You know, when, when we get rolling on all four cylinders, it's normally, or all six cylinders, it's normally because we're able to turn the keys over to the quarterback a little bit and give them some freedom. But, you know, with where we're at in the growth of our program right now, uh, we, we, we've kind of boxed them in a little bit, but they, they've handled it really, really well. So you guys um, got another uh, big game this week, Sewanee, and you were telling us that the, the all-time series is dead even? Dead even, 53-3-3. and a uh, huge rival for the Edmund Orgle Cup. Uh, Edmund Orgle, uh, who was once the mayor of Memphis, is also on both boards uh, at both schools. And uh, we play for a cup in his name, and uh, it's a huge deal. He has a pretty good golf course as well. Is that still it's, open, by the way? I have no idea. He's <laughs> got cups, he's got golf courses, he's got everything. Man, Edmund Orgle, who knew? Yeah. It, it, I know that the University of the South, right, Sewanee, originally was a member of the SEC. Correct. Which is just crazy to think about. Crazy to think of. When you play them in the early days, of course, you weren't around, Rich, but when you played them in the early days, were they a member of the SEC? You know, not really sure. You know, we've played, what, 109 times, so I've got to guess that they were. Um, <laughs> you can say you beat an SEC team. You know, now at the time, Rhodes wasn't even in Memphis. We were over in Clarksville, and, uh, you know, our campus moved. So, you know, obviously a lot of history between then and now. Wow, I had no idea they were in Clarksville. Yeah. Wait, when did when did that when did they come to? When did, did you take the last train to Clarksville? Actually, the Austin P campus was the original Rhodes campus. Um, really? And Rhodes moved to Memphis. Um, I, I'm not even sure the year. I, I should know that, but I don't. Wow, I had no I, idea. I, I did not. I had I had no idea that was the case. What uh, what kind of team is Sewanee this year? Uh, they, you know, they hired a new coach, Andy McCollum, who's done a great job. I actually recruited and coached Andy's son uh, at a previous job. Andy was at Georgia Tech. He was the head coach at Middle Tennessee along the way. was with the Tennessee Titans at North Carolina State. And um, most recently, he was at the University of Buffalo. And Andy's uh, an Atlanta guy, but had kind of bought a retirement home near Sewanee. And they had a coaching opening. And, and Andy's a good football coach. And he's done a really good job with their team. He's made them really fundamentally sound. Um, you know, he hadn't had a chance to recruit a whole lot yet but he's turned their fortunes um you know he's got them to three and two playing really hard and uh, they've got a young quarterback that they, they've they're building the offense around he's a freshman and he's athletic and uh, he can throw the ball and um you know defensively they're just really sound they pressure you um you know the field blitz 
boundary blitz. Um, you know, he's going to try to up tempo you on defense, and that's his forte. That's what he does. And um, you know, so to be, you know, like I'm glad this is an interesting rivalry game. And uh, you know, we've won nine out of the last ten. Uh, so you know, I'm excited. This is going to be a competitive series now. Again, Crane Field on Saturday, one o'clock on the campus of Rhodes, Rhodes and Sewanee. All right, so. Once you finish the game against Millsaps, it's over. From a you, you, you specifically, but I think most coaches are probably like this. How quickly do you turn into Sewanee mindset? How quickly do you start breaking down tape and starting to look ahead to your next opponent since it's such a quick turnaround? Yeah, you know, on the bus ride home, uh, you know, started pulling Swanee film and just kind of getting a look. And, you know, we, we start a little bit of pre-scout stuff. I don't, but, I've you know, some of the staff, we start some pre-scout stuff on Thursday before the game. And, you know, I go in and look at some of those cut-ups on the bus ride home. And, uh, you know, we clean up, you know, the, 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 the Millsaps game a little bit Sunday morning, bring our kids in. But, you know, by, by 3 o'clock uh, Sunday, you know, it's, it's full speed ahead um, at that point. So uh, a texter text in says uh, 1848 it opened in Clarksville 1925 moved to Memphis. Yes, and it is our 175th yeah, anniversary 100, this year. It's a, it's a big deal. 175th year overall, yeah. and so and in a couple of years it'll be the 100th year anniversary here in Memphis. 1848. Yep. Holy smokes! And we've been around a minute. <laughs> wow, I I, kn- I knew it was been around for a while but man i had no idea it was been has been along uh been around that long all right so um so you start breaking down the tape on the on the bus ride home you get the guys in the mindset sunday afternoon so it's really not a lot of turner it's not it's, it's a quick turnaround for them as well um what is tougher in the turnaround physically for the players or mentally you know the way our schedule works um you know, we, we we don't even go back out on the field till today. So from the time the game ends, we come in Sunday, work out, uh, do a recovery workout with them. We watch game film. We give them Monday off. Um, so I, I guess I got to answer for the players. It's got to be a little bit more difficult mentally because we set our schedule up to give them recovery from game time to new opponent uh, physically. Um, but, you know, we, we ask them to look at film and kind of pre-scout like we do. You know, the, the advent of huddle and online video, you know, they, they can be looking at it right away too. That's the thing from from that coaching perspective now, from iPads and everything else that you can have everywhere, showing film, as you said, huddle, everything. How much – I don't easier has it gotten to have that to have that ability to be able to have film seemingly readily at your fingers at all times. You know, it's really changed. When I first started coaching, we were still using 16 millimeter film. You know, wow. so in that way, the game has really, really changed. You know, you didn't never, you didn't film practice. Um, you, you very rarely was able to film a scrimmage. Um, you know, so it was it was you know really unique. Now we film everything. You know, from the time we walk on the field to the time we leave, and um, you know it, the kids can see it all. They have access to it all. We have access to it all. You know, even 15, 20 years ago, we were still filming on VHS, and you know, the, I remember the camera guy used to take a video out, video in. <laughs> video out, video in. So at the end of practice, we had a stack of about 15 videotapes and we were trading them around meeting rooms. And, uh, you know, now it's just so unbelievable. It just, boom, it goes up online and there it is, 15 minutes off the field. And um, so it's it's really changed a lot in that way. Because it amazes me in doing high school games and watching the high school coach, like they literally have a big TV on the sidelines and they're 
defense comes off the field. They're watching film on the sidelines. I'm like, this is high school football. Like the idea of doing this 20 years ago, having film on the sidelines during a game, and that'd be crazy for some of those coaches. You know, it's really unique because we can't do that in a college game. And I think it does for guys that are in my generation, guys that had to live scout football games and watch it without being able to hit the replay button. I think there's an advantage in the college game in that way for guys that have that skill set. Um, because it's just it, it's so different. Like you said, at the high school level, I, you know, you can go back and you can look at, hey, man, we didn't block this correctly or we didn't cover this yeah. correctly, and you can make those adjustments. Um, the NFL game, you know, they have the iPads yeah. everywhere, but the college game is unique. We haven't allowed that replay system onto the sidelines or into the press box. Has that been discussed? Like, is it something that you think will come to the college game, or what is the reason for keeping it? You know, out I really now? don't know. Um, it has been discussed a lot. But we have not moved forward as a coaches group to be able to do that, and I'm not really sure the reason why. Um, I'm a purist. You know, I've mentioned that before on the show. I'm not a huge fan of replay of the officials, and, um, you know, I like it the way it is. I think, you you know, there is a huge advantage to being able to see some things live that other people may miss, and um, there there is an advantage to for a coach in that way, and I like it, so... I always thought the coaches were binge-watching Succession on the sidelines, just catching up, you know, from (laughs) weeks that they weren't able to watch it. Rich Duncan is joining us. He's the head football coach of the Rhodes Lynx. They knocked off Millsaps last Saturday, 37-7. Now stand at 4-2 as they get set to host Sewanee this Saturday at Crane Field. All right, speaking of film, for the most part, programs, coaches certainly, you don't change your stripes too much. You, You are who you are. But I, I recall a couple of times already this year with the University of Memphis and with Coach Silverfield and their offense and defensive coordinators talking about how they prepared for the one for the team and then all of a sudden they, they come out and they're doing something completely different defensively or completely different offensively. Does that how often does that happen? Um, that there's changes to try to kind of confuse, I guess, the opponent as to what they're seeing, which is an awful lot to try to put in in a couple of days for their for their players. Yeah, normally, that normally happens first quarter. Uh, you know, people are going to adjust, put changes in, um, try to do something new schematically. Uh, but by the time you get to the third quarter, coaches normally revert back to who they are. Mm-hmm. And when it gets to crunch time, it kind of goes back there. Um, what, they're, what they're used to, what yeah, they know. Yeah, what, what, what they know, what mm-hmm. their strengths are as a team, all those things. But, you know, typically those adjustments are, are early in the game. Um, you know, and I think the other piece of it is you got to know yourself, right? You have to figure out this is what we do and how do we create wrinkles off of it and how do we, you know, quote-unquote, play, plays off of plays, you know, blitzes off of base defenses. Um, you know, how do you build on your package and become a little bit more diverse as the season goes along? And that, and that goes to the whole thing, again, of not having the film on the sidelines. When they are different, you got to see all of this live and kind of digest it where you don't get to go back and go, all right, well, let's show this is what they're doing, guys. Look at this iPad here, and I'm showing you what they're doing. Right. I think it. you have to – hopefully you build a trust within your players. Um, that you teach them – how to critically look at the game 
and be able to walk to the sideline and co- coach, this is different and this is what we saw so that you can get on the same page. And, um, you know, that was early in the year for us as having a young offensive line. That was tough. I think those guys have started to figure it out now um, where they can come over and go, hey, coach, they, they were supposed you know, we prepped all week that they were going to be, the look was going to be this and now it's that um, so that we can help them out because it, it, it truly takes the, the staff, the players. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer in involving the players, getting there investment and I'm, I'm probably a little bit different in that way as a coach I really want the players input I want them to buy in and I want them to figure it out do you think because of the use of film that's at the high school level do players come in now with maybe a better understanding of the game because they're able to see it so much or did or is it yeah how, how do you think I, players today are compared I, I to maybe players it, that didn't have that advantage yeah, I think it's not only the film they have in Huddle too. It's the amount of time they spend playing Madden and college football on the PlayStation, Xbox. You know, it's funny. We'll run a play, and I'll hear a kid in the back go, hey, I, I'm running that on Madden right now. And uh, You know, it's a huge advantage over us growing up. We had to go out and manipulate it with 11 kids in a neighborhood, yeah. and, uh, you know, now they're able to create these whole sim games uh, that – you know, it gives them it, it gives them a whole IQ. I think sometimes they miss some playground IQ um, that they don't get growing up that we got. But on the other side of it, they, man, they really have they're really good visual learners and they see things you know in a lot of ways that way. Final thing for you, different topic: uh, recruiting. How how is recruiting going, and how much of it are you doing during the season? And are you out at games on Friday night, high school football? How does it all work there at Rhodes and in Division Three, for that matter? Yeah, you know, we recruiting now, like for everybody, you know, every college coach will tell you it's year-round. Um, you know, small college football used to have a little bit different cycle than the major college game, but, you know, that's all gone away, again, with technology and Twitter. And, um, you know, we, we had over 250 kids on campus over the summer. We obviously got to follow through, recruit those guys. Um, you know, so we're talking to them, bringing them to games. We get out. We try to get out locally. Um, you know, hopefully we've got some Nashville teams coming to Memphis and guys we're recruiting in that way uh, over into Mississippi and Arkansas a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's hard when we're on the road because we're not flying charter to be able to get out and see. You know, for example, we were in Jackson, Mississippi last week and we left in the morning. So we're not going to get a Friday night game in Jackson. Um, so th- that's a little bit different maybe. But, yeah, we're recruiting, you know, very heavily. You're doing it all right now in season. Recruiting is certainly an in season project where, where it didn't used to be at the small college level. All right, coach. Best of luck to you this Saturday. Appreciate it, guys. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. He is Coach Rich Duncan, the head football coach at Rhodes. Again, big one this weekend against Sewanee, an old rivalry that goes back to like 1492, man. Columbus was at that first game, I believe. Rhodes now 4 and 2 after knocking off Millsaps this past Saturday, 37 to 7. Folks, what goes great with football? A little tailgating Saturday at Crane Field. Pick up some hot wings from the crazy coop and bring them on over to Crane Field or any football game for that matter. Friday night, the Tigers in Tulane. Yes, tailgate on Tiger Lane with crazy coop hot wings. What's the, uh, what's the thought of hot wings, right? A lot of people make good hot wings. It's the flavoring, right? The sauces. What do you put on those hot wings that differentiate them from others? Well, the Crazy Coop, they have 27 different flavors. 27! Like Buffalo Ranch, a perfect combo of ranch seasoning with a little kick to it. 
mango habanero, the sweet taste of mango followed by the heat, or sweet maple bourbon, the taste will remind you of chicken and waffles. If you want to go hot, the crazy sweet lemon pepper hot or the crazy suicide. And if you can't take the heat, get the four cheese roasted garlic, which is delicious, or the barbecue bacon bourbon. Two convenient locations for the crazy coop. 7199 Highway 64 between Appling and Kirby Witten. That's in Bartlett. And the Crazy Coop Express at 1315 Ridgeway. That's off Poplar, not far from where we're at. Pick up your hot wings today. In Bartlett, at that location, you can get the full menu, including their delicious catfish sandwiches, their juicy half-pound burgers, and all the sides like the fried okra, the green tomatoes, the fried dill pickles. They will deliver. They will cater any event you got coming up as well. For those delicious whole wings, party wings, boneless wings, those chicken tenders, which are huge, it's the Crazy Coop. Open 11 a.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week. Again, at 7199 Highway 64 between Appling and Kirby Witten and Bartlett or the Crazy Coop Express at 1315 Ridgeway off Poplar. When we come back, we're talking SEC football with Blake Topmeyer, SEC columnist for USA Today Network. You're tuned in to Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Add a little fun to your lunch break. Join Johnny Radio for Sports 56 Happy Hour from 11 to 1 every weekday on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by Acura of Memphis. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. Here once again... Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Gonna put the world away for a minute. Pretend I don't live. Welcome back, everyone. 927 the time. Final half hour and change here on this Tuesday edition of Sports 56 Mornings. Looks like another interesting slate in the SEC this weekend with Texas AM at Tennessee, one that certainly is uh, of interest to a lot of folks around here. Uh, Auburn and LSU, Missouri and Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, Arkansas and Alabama, and number one Georgia and Vanderbilt. And here to talk about the SEC and all things college football, our good buddy Blake Topmeyer, SEC columnist for USA Today Network. He joins us every other week during the college football season. You can follow him on Twitter at BTopmeyer. Hey, Blake. Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm good. I, I yesterday yesterday I had to uh, wave the white flag on the air. I I'm, I've given up. I think Georgia, I, I was waiting to see what Georgia would do against Kentucky. They go out there, they pummel them. I think I think they've been bored, to be honest with you, up until this point. When they want to turn it on, they could turn it on. I think these guys are a lock to make the playoffs again. I think a great chance to win it three years in a row. There are people saying they're maybe not as strong as the last two years. But I am sold, Blake. That game, I don't know, for whatever reason, just sold me completely on Georgia. Yeah, I can't argue. Um, I think a lot of what you said is, is probably true, and, and I think the key, you know, one of the keys is whether they're good as as good as the last two years. Maybe they're not. Um, I think they're they're probably not quite as good as as they were last year. Um, however, neither is the SEC, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, we look around the conference and. Um, the league's down. I mean, the, the folks in Birmingham probably cringe at, at that idea and, and uh, are pushing against that idea, but it's true. Um, the league's down. Georgia's schedule is certainly not among the toughest in, in the conference. Uh, this was their 
first, I guess, quote-unquote marquee game, mostly because Kentucky was coming off of uh, destroying Florida the previous week. Um, and we've seen this movie before, right? Mm-hmm. Kentucky plays well throughout the month of September and then gets picked apart by Georgia. Um, I'm not really picking on Kentucky. I mean, that's kind of what their program is, right? Uh, under Mark Stoops, they, they beat a lot of the teams that um, you know they should beat or, or even teams that they used to not be able to beat. Um, but then when they played the best of the best, they they fall short. And <laughs> this was more than falling short. It was it was Georgia, to your point, um, looking like they're deserving of the number one ranking. I, I questioned in the past why some AP voters were voting at Georgia number one. I didn't I didn't think they were particularly deserving of of, of that spot in the AP poll um, this week. I don't question it. If if you got a vote in the AP top twenty five, you voted Georgia number one. No argument after mm-hmm. what we saw Saturday. Right. If if they were to lose a game in the regular season, um, better chance Tennessee or Ole Miss? I think Tennessee, just because of the location of the game. Um, if Ole Miss, if both those games were on the road, uh, I might say Ole Miss. But because Ole Miss has to go to Athens um, and and Georgia is at Knoxville, uh, I will say better chance of of losing to Tennessee. Um, but I don't think they lose. I don't think they lose either one of them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with the the home team having a better chance there. We were discussing on the show yesterday, Eli and I, the uh, Texas A and M Tennessee game for this upcoming weekend. We had uh, a difference of opinion on on that one. What is your thoughts uh, for Tennessee and Texas A and M this weekend? Yeah, so I was at College Station last week, so get a good look at the Aggies. Um, you know, we heard after that game some people uh, on, on social media say, uh, well, wh- what about this idea that Texas A&M had such a better team than Alabama and, uh, you know, some, all this talent? No, Alabama disproved that. And I thought, no, they didn't. Texas A&M had plenty of talent, yeah, I, I thought, in that game. Like, I, I thought at most positions, A&M had as much talent, if not more, than Alabama. But uh, Alabama outplayed him at quarterback. Right, you know, we yep. talk about Jimmy's, Jimmy's and Joes uh, when in college football, and we sometimes act like all those uh, Jimmy's and Joes are, are created equally, right? Like, no, the the quarterback position uh, wields out, outsized clout, and Alabama had the better quarterback. Jalen Milrow outplayed um, Max Johnson, and also uh, Texas A and M's uh, offensive line struggled against Alabama's defensive front really after halftime quite a bit. Um, but at a lot of spots, I, I liked what I saw from, from A&M. Um, I, I wonder whether it, Tennessee can disrupt A&M up front as much as Alabama did throughout that second half. I mean, that took that offense completely out of rhythm. Uh, Johnson wasn't able to do a ton uh, after halftime. They couldn't get the ground game going. Um, that, to me, is, is sort of, I mean, the key matchup, I don't know maybe this is a cliche in the SEC, but I think the key matchups are going to be along the line of scrimmage um, because Texas A&M's defensive front, and, you know, when I'm talking D-line and linebackers, they're so good. I mean, they, they, they looked really good even in defeat. Um, I think they could give some problems to Tennessee's um, offensive line. But on the flip side, you know, if it looked like A&M had some weaknesses last year, last week, I thought they were along that O line, um, and in quarterback Max Johnson. But you got to be able to get some pressure um, to to get Johnson out of rhythm. Otherwise, 
I think those Texas A&M receivers are going to be a real handful uh, for Tennessee's secondary. We know that's uh, sort of a vulnerability uh, for the Vols. I know they look good against South Carolina, but South Carolina's having a hard time blocking anybody. So uh, I think this is kind of a coin flip game, really. That's, uh, I'm not trying to give a cop-out answer there, but I, I do feel like this is sort of a coin flip. And um, I'm not necessarily turned off by A&M just because they lost to Alabama. My bigger mm-hmm. question is, like, do they do they fold up camp and say, well, this season swirl on the drain, <laughs> just like the last. Um, we're gonna we're gonna pack it in for the year, or do they, you know, kind of come off the mat like LSU did last week at Missouri? But real quick, to your point, can Tennessee get pressure? I don't know. Um, I don't think they can get as much as Alabama did because yeah. I don't think their their defensive front is as good as Alabama's. I think they can get some. Um, will it be enough to take A and M out of? rhythm as much as they were in the second half i sort of question that and like i said i think they have to because if not i really think those a&m receivers are going to be a handful um for for the vols secondary i, I think you know a wide receiver a&m is one of the better teams in the conference and that included drops last week their, their guys dropped a few passes they should have caught but even even despite that you know evan stewart Anaya smith moose muhammad those guys really impressed me um, and, but it was just Al- Alabama's front, you know, in the, after halftime was really disrupting a lot. I, I do question whether Tennessee can do that to that extent. Can they do it enough to win? Um, I don't know. Maybe was in last week's game the the decision to punt on the fourth and one at the forty five. Oh mercy! It, I mean, it was. <laughs> What would, what would, how did Jimbo explain that afterwards? And, and was it the idea that were they were they were struggling so much up front? I mean, I just don't understand that decision at all. I think Jimbo got tight because his explanation made no sense. <laughs> because he was asked about why he punted or, or why he went for it on fourth and one at the nine, Alabama's nineteen yard line in the first quarter, and and AM didn't get it. They they were doing like a. a Play action pass into the flat. Alabama got pressure. Uh, Johnson threw an incompletion, um, and so Jimbo, in explaining that decision, said, "Got to play aggressive, playing to win." Well, okay. Well, what happened two quarters later? Then, in a tie game, uh, as you said, fourth and one from the forty-five yard line. Like uh, to me, Jimbo was affected. He didn't say this, but I think he was affected by the, the first quarter fourth and one failure. I think he was affected by momentum was swinging to Alabama at that point. You know, A&M had led at halftime. Alabama had tied it up late in the third quarter. And I just, I think he got tight. I think he thought, if we don't make this like we didn't in the first quarter, Alabama's going to have all the momentum. Um, well, that may have been true, but that was a chance to reclaim the momentum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, analytics are in vogue. I kind of agree with some of it. I think some coaches take it too far. But I don't need an analytics sheet to tell me that the score's seventeen seventeen and you gotta score at least one more time mm-hmm. yeah. to win the game. <laughs> and you've got the ball at Alabama's forty five yard line. I don't know how many times you're gonna get the ball back. I don't know how many times you're gonna get the ball back across midfield, but you got an opportunity with the ball across across the fifty and you're you're giving it away. Um, you know, you got the ball in your hands, you got a much better chance to score. Then if you don't, uh, again, we don't that's, need analytics to tell yeah, us that. Yeah, that's fancy analytics uh, right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to me, it reminded me, guys, of that guy at the blackjack table who hits 16 
against a face card, um, and he busts. And then the shoe is shuffled, and the next time he has 16 against a face card, he doesn't hit. Mm-hmm. And you say, why didn't you hit? And he says, well, I busted last time. Well, what's that got to do with this time? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, and I think because because Jimbo and A&M, they didn't get that fourth and one in the first quarter, um, I think that probably, that plus the momentum shifting to Alabama probably scared him off going for it in that situation. But I think it was a huge mistake and um, and obviously backfired. That's one thing I give like Lane Kiffin credit on. Like he's gonna do it. Like he doesn't care if he's zero mm-hmm. for ten on fourth down. If it presents itself again and he thinks it's the right thing, he's just gonna do it. Like he doesn't care at all how many times they've missed in the game. That's right. He's going to hit that sixteen against the face <laughs> yes. card every time. Which, uh, by the way, is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care what they say about him. He doesn't care if the repercussions are serious, like a firing. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He's going to do what he's going to do, and I respect that. I respect that a lot more than being than waffling in decision making. Uh, Blake Topmeyer is joining us from SEC from USA Today Network, SEC columnist for USA Today Network. All right, so Arkansas is in the midst of their annual. How are you going to ever win any of those games? Streak where they play four or five teams which looks like uh, they're going to go over every single time, every year. I don't know why <laughs> they, they face that gauntlet, but they do every year, and they're in the midst of it. Now they go to Alabama. But now, all of a sudden, it seems like the love affair with the lovable Sam Pittman is over. I like the guy. I hope he comes through and doesn't lose a job. But it's starting to worry me, concern me, Blake, that uh, they're going to come out swinging the Arkansas faithful. I don't know what his contract situation is right now, but do you believe – that Sam Pittman is in trouble. Mm, I don't. I don't believe the the flames are uh, at the doorstep necessarily, but they're. Um, you you can see them off in the distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say that. And and there's there's an. I need to go in and, and look at it because there's an interesting detail in Sam Pittman's contract that, uh, and most coaches don't have this. It's really unique. Allows him to be fired more cheaply for Arkansas if his overall record, I believe it dips below 500. Not not in a particular season, but his his career record at Arkansas. Oh. I think if, it's, if it dips um, below 500, he can be fired for a, a, a decreased buyout. Um, well, I believe right now he's still a smidge above 500, but it's getting... It's getting close. It's it's dipping back down there to the 500 line, and so you know you could make the argument that if he dips below 500, and you're thinking about it, that the better financial move would be to just do it. Don't wait until he gets back above 500 and do do it because you're gonna have to pay him more. Um, now I don't know that Arkansas should be influenced that much by that. Um, you know we're talking about a handful of million dollars, which to folks like you and I is a lot of money. To an athletic department, I don't know that that has to all of a sudden make you act and say, oh, well, we get a discount. It's like, you know, Amazon Prime Day. We get free shipping for firing him or something. Yeah. Um, we got to do it. No, I don't think you have to do that. But it is an interesting provision in the contract, and it becomes more into play here, you know, as is, as the losses pile up. Um, I, I, I'm kind of like you, Greg. I don't, I don't think that it would be wisest for Arkansas to do this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it would be wisest for them to do it this season. Even I, I think um, what Sam had done up to this point is is deserving of another year. Um, and we have to remember what Arkansas was before he got there. It was a joke. 
Um, he's made them not a joke. Uh, however, he's got real problems to address. Uh, you know, defense kind of remains an, an issue that's flared up at different times during his tenure, and and the offense is they can't run the ball. Jefferson and, yeah, they got KJ Jefferson and not much else. And, right, uh, Rocket Sanders being banged up is is uh, not great for them. Obviously, he was supposed to be one of their best talents. Their offensive line, you know, to have a former offensive line coach as your head coach, you expect the O line to be better than this. Uh, and the transition from Kendall and Bryles to Dan Enos has, has not gone great. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that I think Pittman uh, needs to address. I, I do wonder if he has the the card still in his hand of hmm. uh, find a coordinator who's a fall guy, fire him after the season, and move forward with a new coordinator. I mean, that that's a coach that that's a move we see a lot of coaches have to play sort of before before they they get one more go at this. In fact, you know, I mean, Jimbo played that card. Uh, after last year, he bought him, brought he him Bobby Petrino to run the offense. We we see so many coaches, um, you know, Eli Drinkwitz, right? I mean, he, he didn't have an offensive coordinator. Um, he brings in an OC. He was struggling. He has to bring in an OC, and and now all of a sudden Missouri's scoring, right? I, I would think that that's probably the more rational move uh, for Arkansas if this thing doesn't rebound this year. Is is you go to Sam Pittman and say, hey, you need a fall guy. Um, you need you need to show someone the door, bring in a fresh face at a coordinator spot, uh, and let's get this thing going next year. But like I said, that contract does have some language that kind of makes it more interesting. Well, I, I think you're right. I think I would lean toward what you're saying. Did get a text, presumably from an Arkansas fan here, said forty to fifty million to fire Pittman and staff and pay off NIL obligations would take that to hire new crew and get new players. So his, even for the yeah. SEC, that's that's rich. That's his, a lot of money. His record right now is exactly five hundred at twenty one and twenty one. Um, but I guess would they call that rollback pricing on that, uh, that contract? <laughs> yeah, I, that would, it, I, is. I, <laughs> it is. It's not blue it, light special. I'll tell you that much. Pittman's got a few strange provisions in his contract. When he when he initially was hired there, he had like a do not compete clause in his contract. I believe it said he could not leave for another SEC job. And I think that's a great provision mm-hmm. for Arkansas to have in the deal. But most coaches don't have that, right? Like, that's why we heard all that noise about, is Blaine Kiffin going to leave for Auburn last year? Well, you know, when, after Sam Pittman was hired, he couldn't have done that. He had a, he had a do-not-compete clause in there. So Arkansas has done some, some interesting deals with his contract to make it a little more favorable to them than your average coaching contract. I mean, you still get a huge buyout either way if you're fired. Yeah. You know, to anybody else in the, in America, it would look like a great deal. But Arkansas has done some things, like I said, that, that makes that contract more favorable to them than the average school. Sam Pittman just feels like the type of guy that if he does get fired, he gets that huge buyout. Like, he's just going to go buy himself a bunch of beer and hang out. <laughs> like, he's, he's done at that point. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't need to do it anymore. Yeah, Ed Ogeron told the story, and who knows if this is embellished, but Ed Ogeron was speaking at, a, at an event, I think it was in Arkansas, about um, when he learned – uh, he was he was going to be fired, and Ed said his first question was, "Are you going to pay me my full buyout?" <laughs> and the AD said yes. And Ed said his next question was, um, "How soon do you want me out of here?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean that's kind of the the, the great situation a lot of these coaches are in. Um, final thing for you, we have uh, we mentioned the A and M in Tennessee this weekend, Arkansas and Alabama. 
Auburn and LSU is interesting. Obviously, LSU's defense is not up to snuff. It's not what it normally is. They win the shootout at Mizzou. Auburn, defensively, is playing pretty well. If they had the offense that I know Hugh Freeze is going to have in the future, I'm very high on him as a coach. I really am. Um, They'd win a couple of these games they've lost. They've been in some of these games. Can they give LSU a problem in Baton Rouge? Um, I don't think a, a huge problem because of the, the reason I'm thinking of here is LSU's got vulnerabilities all across the defense, right? Um, it, it's like their offense is almost playing against their defense. Mm-hmm. Their offense has been so good and their defense has been so bad. It's like they're going head to head. Um, but the biggest issue in LSU's defense of all their issues is their secondary. Um, they really struggle against a decent quarterback and decent wide receivers. And that's that's Auburn's biggest weakness, right? Like, we saw them give Georgia problems um, through some quarterback run game, uh, read option stuff, zone read stuff. Uh, I, I don't think that's the best way to take advantage of what LSU gives you. I think, you know, having a quarterback who can who can sling it around a little bit doesn't have to be a first-team All-SEC guy, Um but you, that, I think that's the best way to take advantage of LSU, and that's that's where Auburn is incredibly limited right now is the pass game. I mean, even when they they looked good moving it against Georgia, like I said, it was a lot of quarterback run game, zone read type of stuff. Mm. Um, I think they can have some success with that against LSU. Again, it's like when you pick LSU's weakness, it's like you know choose your door, and there's <laughs> there's a prize sitting behind each of the each of the doors. But I think the biggest prize uh, sits behind the door of throw the ball take advantage of the secondary, and again, I don't I don't think that's what Auburn is, is built to do. He is Blake Topmeyer, SEC columnist for USA Today Network. You can follow him on Twitter at BTopmeyer. Catch him every other week talking college football, SEC specifically, right here on Sports 56 Mornings. Blake, thank you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Take care. Folks, are you thinking about getting engaged? Do you maybe have a special anniversary coming up? Uh, It won't be long. The holidays will be here. If jewelry is on your mind, or an engagement, especially an engagement ring, you got to go see the folks at Genesis Diamonds. Genesis Diamonds in the Poplar Commons Shopping Center. Poplar and Perkins Extended. Thousands of engagement rings right there in the store for you to check out and see. Plus, all kinds of great fine jewelry. And they've got the amazing selection of luxury pre-owned Rolex watches, pristine watches, absolutely perfect condition, value price, even hard to find models. They've got them for you there as well. This is amazing selection, amazing prices, and amazing service. That's what you find at Genesis Diamonds. Again, the Poplar Commons Shopping Center, Poplar and Perkins Extended. If you've got the engagement on your mind, go see the amazing selection of engagement rings for you at Genesis Diamonds. Final segment coming up. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. You already know you can listen to Sports 56 anywhere with the Sports 56 app or at sports56whbq.com. But you can also watch us daily with live video of all of our shows on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. 
This hour is brought to you by Acura of Memphis. There's lightning. Here once again are Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. This hour is indeed brought to you by Acura of Memphis. Ridgeway 385, that's where you'll find the dealership. That's where you're going to find all those beautiful Acura automobiles for you to go check out, take a test drive, new vehicles, pre-owned vehicles, including certified pre-owned Acuras that you'll find over there. And also when you're there, you're going to talk to some great people that are very willing to help you and give you all the information you need. You can get a lot of information through the website before you even head over there as well. If you go to AcuraMemphis.com, you can... Get all kinds of information about all the different models. You can get inventory of pre-owned vehicles, special deals they've got going on, trade-in value on your current vehicle, all these kinds of things you can do on the website. But uh, there's nothing beats that in-person experience you get every single time at Acura of Memphis. So go see them Ridgeway at 385 or online at AcuraofMemphis.com. Well, for all you gambling degenerates out there, there is a line on tonight's preseason game. There are lines on preseason games, period. The... Memphis Grizzlies are a one-and-a-half-point home dog tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. Which is really the only reason they play overtime. For gambling purposes. Mm-hmm. They still should do an Elam ending. 7 o'clock tonight over at FedEx Forum. As the Bucks will take on the Grizzlies, I doubt very much that Giannis Antetokounmpo will play. It'll be interesting to see what Taylor Jenkins does with a couple of his veteran players like Steven Adams, who did play the first half of Sunday's game, the overtime win against the Pacers. But again, tonight, the Grizzlies and the Bucks from FedEx Forum. After that, three away games for the Grizzlies as far as the preseason is concerned before they open up the season on October 25th. Major League Baseball playoffs again today. It's the American League Divisional Series. The Orioles trying to, what are they trying to do, Eli? Trying to stave. They're trying to stave today. They're down two love in a best-of-five divisional series against the Texas Rangers. The Orioles won 101 games during the regular season, but they are down love two. Today, Dean Kramer on the mound for the Orioles against Nathan Evaldi for the Texas Rangers. That one will get underway at 3.07. Make that uh, 7.03. That's the evening game, Baltimore and Texas. The afternoon game is Houston and Minnesota. That series all even at one. Good pitching matchup. You got Sonny Gray going for Minnesota at home against Christian Javier for the Houston Astros. Again, that series is even at one. Tomorrow, it's all four series. So you got both uh, the two divisional series in the American League and the National League divisional series with the Phillies and Braves now even at one after the Braves 5 4 win last night over Philly. And the Dodgers in Arizona game three with the Dodgers down two love overall after losing to Arizona yesterday four to two. If you missed the Monday night result from last night, the National Football League, the Las Vegas Raiders knocked off the Green Bay Packers by the score of 17 to 13. Both teams now stand at two and three. And today is the scheduled hearing, finally, the preliminary hearing. In the Mikey Williams case out in San Diego, it has been postponed three times. Uh, We'll see if they actually get down and start to talk about what's going on with this case, which is a long way from uh, coming to any type of conclusion. But we'll see where things stand again after three preliminary hearing postponements to this point. The hat trick, as they say. Uh, I won't be surprised if it's a fourth time it's postponed. Speaking of hat tricks, the National Hockey League season opens up today. The 23-24 campaign for all you 
pucksters out there. Triple header on ESPN starting with game one at 4.30. 4.30. Should be a lot of fun. It's hockey, baby. It's It's something. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow, call five. me. Call me if a game seven gets to overtime. <laughs> oh, tonight we can't do that. This isn't game seven. All right. Well, then I will not be watching. Good the Stanley Cup is when? <laughs> it's May. I think They don't have an off season. It's in, it's in June. Same as the. Is NBA. it June? Yeah. Okay. They May. don't have an off. Hockey <laughs> doesn't have an off season. Hockey plays year round. I don't. It's crazy. They 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 just play year round. Well, look at baseball. The World Series is the World Series stretching into November if it goes seven this year. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. You're stretching into November. You have December is uh, is the baseball winter meetings. And then January, you have off. Basically, February, you start camp. That's a quick turnaround as well. I mean, all professional leagues now have been extended. I mean, forever. I mean, soccer, for goodness sakes. Memphis 901 FC. Hockey players get basically two months off. Hockey players Not get even. two months. Baseball players get a couple of months, three months. They get... Unless I mean, you're playing they're, in they're, the World Series. Well, yeah, but the, the World Series goes to like November 2nd if it goes there. Like, so you get November, true. December, January, That's all true. Off. Three months. Yeah. You get and then you go in mid February. Yeah. But I mean, most Hockey leagues. Hockey gets like a month and then they go, okay, great, get to camp. Most leagues have been extended. Soccer is long. NASCAR is forever. NASCAR, they go into deep into November. They have December off. They have their award ceremony and they're back January getting ready for the Daytona 500 in mid February. They're working on their cars. They're doing the test driving and all that in January. Like, There's no more off-seasons, it seems like. At least if the off-season happens, it is very, very minimal. Back in the day, not only did you have the off-season, you started to work another job. <laughs> How about all those stories about athletes? Yeah, I had to work a second job to make ends meet. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, as I was starting to say, five favorite things topic for tomorrow, your five favorite television moms. Your five favorite television moms for tomorrow. Also on the program tomorrow, Jerry Palm from CBS Sports. We'll talk NBA and the Grizzlies specifically with DeMichael Cole from the Commercial Appeal. Plus, Randy Feetner will join us. Former University of Memphis offensive coordinator. Of course, Pittsburgh Steelers offensive coordinator. Now retired. He was at the big ceremony last weekend for the 2003 New Orleans Bowl team. We'll talk to him about what's happening in the National Football League, working on some other guests as well. Big thanks to Jeff Crane, Rich Duncan, and Blake Topmeyer for joining us on the show today. Coming up next, it's Wildo and Friends on Sports 56. Once again, Brett, stats, Norsworthy, pinch hitting for Dave Willotion. For Eli Savoy and for Zach Boyd, I'm Greg Gaston. Have a great day, everybody. Hey!